the title of my message. I've been studying the book of Revelation starting the beginning and uh, listening to it a lot, reading it a lot, studying a lot. And uh, chapter 1, just the first part of chapter 1 really caught my eye. Not really much prophetic nature in the first chapter, the first 1 through 9 verses. But there's a lot of uh, good practical stuff you can find to apply to your life in Revelation, not just the prophetic part of it. So we're going to focus on the practical application of these verses 1 through 9. Let's go ahead and pray and be started. Lord, thank you for today, and just thank you for our church. Lord, thank you for your word, and just give me your words to say, Lord, and just uh, have a good rest of the service tonight, Lord. In name we pray. Amen. I want you to look at verses 2 and 9 again, and I'll show you where we got the, the title of the message. Verse 2 says, Who bear record of the word of God, and of the testimony of Jesus Christ, and of all things that he saw. In verse 9, I, John, whom also am your brother, and companion in tribulation, and in the kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, was in the isle that is called Patmos, for the word of God, and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. Look back at verse 2, it says, Bear record of the word of God, you know, the testimony of Jesus Christ. And verse 9 says of the testimony of Jesus Christ. The title of the message tonight is, What does your life bear record of the testimony of Jesus Christ? What in your life do people see of Jesus? It's inside you. What bear, what, what, if they were going to bear a record of your life in, in different situations, different aspects of your life, where would they see Jesus in that? What testimony of Jesus would you have as a record in your life? So the writer of Revelation was the Apostle John, of course. And you can see he did not hesitate to bear record of the word of God. And that got him into some trouble. He did nothing wrong, but you notice he was in tribulation, it says, meaning he was having troubles, having problems. He was being punished for bearing record of the word of God. And he was banished to the Isle of Patmos, which is a small rocky island off the coast of uh, the Asia Minor. And it was under the time where the emperor sent him there. It was kind of like a penal island, a jail. They had some people there. And so he was there, and that's when this uh, vision from the Lord came upon him for this book. But the first few verses of this book is some good stuff in those first few verses. So bear record, bear record. John is telling us with these two simple words that nothing in this revelation, nothing in there is his own imagination. He didn't invent it. He didn't make it up. He's just saying, I'm bearing a record. I'm testifying of what I was told. I'm bearing a record. All was a record of God given to him while he was on the Isle of Patmos, and he recorded that testimony of Jesus Christ. John is bearing record of Christ in this testimony, but John also bore record of Christ in his life, in his testimony. Are we doing that ourselves? So we could apply this to ourselves. We can make sure that we simply bear record of what God says. Bear record in our life. Our testimony should reflect Jesus to the world. We need to bear record of Christ, bear record of Jesus to the world. We need to bear record of his word. We need to be proclaiming his word, be proclaiming the accurate version of his word, proclaiming the right version, being the share, teach, preach the word of God, bear record of the word of God in our life. And uh, I was trying to get the outline together for this message, and the same letter just wasn't working. It just, I couldn't, couldn't get it to work. I couldn't, I even got a thesaurus out and started looking up words, and I could not make it work. It just wasn't working. But then I thought, well, maybe I can do like an A, B, C, D thing, and that might work. So that's what we ended up with. So you'll be able to tell how far along we are in the message by what the points start off with. So A is Apocalypse of Christ. And we're going all the way through Z, just to, just to, just to let you know. We got plenty of time, so... First point is the apocalypse of Christ. Look back at verse 1 again. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass. And he sent and signified it by his angel unto his servant John. So apocalypse is revelation. 
Revelation is translated from the Greek word apocalypse and simply means an appearing, an enlightening, a revealing as we know it in the Bible or revelation. I read in the commentary, it says when apocalypse or revelation is in reference to a person, it means that person becomes clearly visible. The person becomes clearly visible. So this is the revelation of Christ. It becomes clearly visible to us. So all revelation comes through Christ, centers on Christ, and points people to Christ. The gospel reveals Christ in his humility when he first came and died for us. Revelation reveals Christ when he's getting exalted. So uh, Revelation reveals the exaltation of Christ. Christ is the main character. Christ is the main uh, theme, the main focus of the book of Revelation. We may think all that prophecy is, but Christ is the main part of the book of Revelation. So once you look at verse 1 again, it says, God gave, God gave. Christ is himself God as part of the Trinity. We know that. Yet, as a mediator between God and man, he receives instruction from the Father. As a reward for Christ's perfect submission and atonement, the Father now presented him with the great record of his future glory. Look at to show at verse 1. It says to show. means to understand, to display with word pictures. It means to display with word pictures, symbols, or direct or indirect representation. To show. So John was literally being showed symbols, pictures, but also direct and indirect representation. And then look at, and he sent and signified it. He sent and signified it. That is, he used symbols and word pictures to symbolize parts of it. The Apostle Peter gave us a great rule, and Pastor mentioned this this morning, interpreting prophecy, 2 Peter 1.20, knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. That is, you do not interpret a single text by itself. You interpret it in light of its immediate context, the chapter it's in, the greater context, the book it's in, its cultural, historical context. Sometimes you have to get that deep, and then you interpret it in light of Scripture as a whole. If people would keep 2 Peter 1.20 in mind, most false beliefs, most cults would not exist because most of those are started by pulling a scripture out of context and applying it in an inaccurate way. Um, I did a whole study on baptism where baptism sometimes is, seems connected. People want to connect it to salvation. And I just showed how the context that doesn't, if you look at the Bible in a whole, that doesn't work. That doesn't, it, doesn't, it isn't that way. So we need to remember 2 Peter 1.20 when we're studying the Bible, when we're trying to get the true meaning, try to get a good understanding that no scripture is of any private interpretation. Next thing I want you to notice, it says, must shortly come to pass. So I looked up must, must. It means urgent necessity and absolute certainty. It is urgent that it happens, it's needful that it happens, and it's certain that it's going to happen. Must, urgent, needful, certain. And then shortly, looked up shortly. The word shortly is also used in Luke 18.8, and it's translated as speedily in Luke 18.8. It means, what this is saying is it means we need to be looking for, expecting for, with certainty, with importance, that Christ is coming back. And when he comes back, it will be speedily, or twinkling of an eye, as fast as you can say your fingers, he'll be back. It'll be speedily, and then it will shortly come to pass. So we need to be looking forward to that coming of Christ. Now, another thing I noticed was his servant John. John said his servant John. He didn't say, I'm the apostle John. I'm the evangelist John. I'm, I'm the pastor of this church John. I'm, I'm this, this John. He says his servant John. He didn't try to build himself up in any way whatsoever. He just humbly said his servant John. It's also interesting to note that John served God as an apostle, as an evangelist, and a prophet. He served God in all three offices. So question, do you bear record of living your life like you really understand and comprehend that Jesus is going to return soon. 
Does your life bear record of that urgency that we know Jesus is going to return soon? Does your life bear record? Does it reflect? Does your testimony reflect that you truly believe Jesus is coming back soon? Does your life bear record of that? Our next point, B, beatitude of Bible study. Beatitude of Bible study. Revelation 1, 3, blessed is he that readeth, and they that hear the words of this prophecy, and keep those things which are written therein, for the time is at hand. Again, emphasizing the time. It's coming. The time is at hand. This blessing seems to be given, this blessing in the book here, seems to be given to encourage people to proactively be reading Revelation, studying it, learning it, trying to comprehend as much of it as you can. We should not shy away from it in our Bible study, which a lot of people and I used to shy away from it in our Bible study. We should be reading it, digging into it. The more I've read it, the more I've gotten into it the last month or so, the more just practical stuff I've found in there. It's of course of prophecies all over in there, but I found just practical stuff I could apply to my life and just day-to-day aspects of my life. So there's a lot of good truth in Revelation. We need to be studying it. We need to be digging into it. So this, another interesting, this is the only biblical book that comes with a blessing for the person who listens to it being read and explained and then responds in obedience. Look at that again. He that readeth and they that hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written therein. A threefold prophecy, but it's conditioned on keeping those things that are written therein. So this verse contains the first and this number is going to come a lot, can come up a lot in our, in our message tonight. This number contains the first of seven Beatitudes found in the book of Revelation. Just studying this first nine verses, I found seven over and over and over again. So this verse contains the first of seven Beatitudes found in the book of Revelation. The others are found in chapter 14, verse 3, 16, 15, 19, 9, 20, verse 6, 22, verse 7, and verse 14. So it's the first of seven found in the book of Revelation. Now you notice also it says time is at hand. Time in this verse refers to kind of like, you know, like my next appointment is at hand. It's on the calendar. It's coming up. It's coming up. The next appointment's at hand. Time is at hand. That next biblical appointment, that next prophetic appointment is at hand. It's the next one up. It's coming. It's coming soon. You need to be ready for it. It's coming soon. The next, the rapture is coming soon. The tribulation will soon follow that. Time is at hand. It's the next thing on your calendar. Time is at hand. So I'm going to ask you again, do you bear record of Bible study in your life? Do you have a testimony of studying your Bible? Do you bear record of digging into your Bible? Do you, does your life reflect the Bible? Does your life reflect that people can tell? I can tell he's in the book. I can tell just how he acts. I can tell his attitude. I can tell you know, what he does. It's a reflection in his life. His life bears record of him studying the Bible. His life bears record of him being a student of the Bible. Does your life bear record of Bible study. Our next one, C, cause and characteristics. Cause and characteristics. Look at verse 4. John, here's that number again, to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace be unto you and peace from him which is and which was and which is to come and from the seven spirits which are before his throne. Notice that seven churches, seven spirits, and notice right in the middle there, grace be unto you and peace from him. So we have seven mentioned twice again, and then uh, when we get to it, grace and peace are something pretty significant about those two. So the seven churches he referred to here are named in verse 11. We're not going to get to them. We're not going to name them, but they're named just a few verses past our text. The number seven occurs frequently throughout the Bible. It refers to completeness. Sometimes that completeness is perfection. It's perfectness, but it refers to completeness. Here in a reference to the churches, it's meaning completeness. 
Seven speaks to what is a complete representation of the church from the beginnings to now. It's a complete representation of the different ages of the church and different churches in general. It's a complete representation of the churches. This message is for the complete church of Christ as a whole throughout the ages, not just to these specific seven churches, though it was for them too. Completeness, seven's completeness. I think of a week, it's got seven days, six days, it wouldn't be a complete week. It just wouldn't be right. So seven is completeness, and God set that up. So then I thought, well, all these sevens keep coming up here, so I want to look at find some more sevens in the Bible to help me maybe get a better idea of what's going on. So I found some more sevens in the Bible, and I thought of listing seven of them, but then I thought that was going too far. So we're going to look at some instances of seven in the Bible. First one, the Sabbath was on the seventh day. Jericho was compassed about seven times. Naaman was instructed to dip in the Jordan River seven times. In Joseph's time, there was seven years of plenty, seven years of famine. Nebuchadnezzar was not sane for seven years. There are seven petitions in the Lord's Prayer. You find seven parables in Matthew 13. And then how many times did Jesus speak from the cross? Seven times. So the significance of number seven in the Bible cannot be ignored. Very significant number. So now, this is one of the things I found very interesting when I was doing this study, is where it says, Grace be unto you and peace from him which is. I thought it was very interesting. Grace be unto you and peace from him. The word grace in this verse is written in Greek. The word peace in this verse is written in Hebrew. Grace is written in Greek, and then he changes to Hebrew and writes the word peace in Hebrew. It's very interesting. Why would you, you change in the middle of that? The word grace is from the Greek word cherish, which is, has forms a meaning of, the, it's like a formal greeting in Greek. And then the word peace is from the Hebrew word shalom, another form of greeting. So grace in the Greek Hebrew, peace in Hebrew. So grace was to the Greek or extended to the Gentiles from the Prince of Peace who was from the Hebrews. Extended it to the Gentiles. Grace came from that Prince of Peace. The Hebrew form of that word shalom is peace. Peace. So peace came from Christ. was extended to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Romans 1.16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is in the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. I think that was very, just like a neat little thing to find out that that language was changed and the way it's worded in there. It says, grace be unto you in peace from him, which is and which was and which is to come. Peace from him, grace and peace. Peace flows from grace, but also grace came from the Prince of Peace. So look at, from him refers to God. God is the one which is and which was, and which is to come. This same phrase is also repeated in verse 8. This speaks of the eternity and immutability of God, his unchangeableness. And uh, one of my favorite verses in this passage, passage is verse 8. And I'm wanting to just hurry up and get there, but we've got we to we work our way there. But verse 8 is like, the, my, my main um, thought on this message was bare record, but also verse 8 was like the secondary thought of the whole message. So, from him refers to God. It speaks of his eternity, his eternality, his existence, his immutability, or his unchangeableness. He's the unchanging God, which is, which was, which is to come, the Almighty. He's the unchangeable God. Now, also, we have the third member of the Trinity is also referenced in this verse when it says, the seven spirits which are before his throne. This could be referenced to Isaiah's prophecy concerning the sevenfold ministry of the Holy Spirit. See if you can count them all. Isaiah 11:2. And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, 
and the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, the sevenfold ministry of the Holy Spirit. Or this could be referring to the seven lampstands mentioned, the seven lamps mentioned in Zechariah chapter 4, also a description of the Holy Spirit. Whatever the case, as you remember, seven is a number of completeness. So John is describing the fullness and completeness of the Holy Spirit and his ministry in us. His ministry is complete in us. He lives within us. His ministry is complete. This is the the influence of the Holy Spirit on our lives. So I ask you a question again. Do you bear record of the Holy Spirit's ministry and influence in your life? Do you bear record that you actually believe your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? Do you bear record of that? Can people tell that about you? Can people see the Holy Spirit is guiding your decisions, guiding your life, guiding uh, your priorities in your life? Do you bear record? Do you have that testimony of the Holy Spirit's ministry and influence in your life? Do you bear record of the Holy Spirit in your life? So now let's go to D. Let's look at some descriptions of Christ. Descriptions of Christ. Let's read verses 5 and 6. And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, and the first begotten of the dead, and the prince of kings of the earth, Now, I'm going to start reading this again, but there's also seven things in this verse, seven descriptions of Christ. And from Jesus Christ, who is a faithful witness, and the first begotten of the dead, and the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us, and washed us from our sins in his own blood, and hath made us kings and priests unto God and his Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Christ was from eternity a willing counsel, a witness to the counsels of God. When I read these two verses, I immediately thought of uh, John 1.18. No man has seen God at any time, the only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father. He hath declared him. Jesus hath declared about God. So Christ was in time a faithful witness, faithful witness revealing God. There are seven descriptions given of Christ in these two verses. Seven again. We will briefly look at each one. Number one, faithful witness. Faithful witness. Jesus is the only trustworthy witness to the facts laid out in this book. The facts are about him. He testifies of himself. Now, it can be difficult to believe other people when they give a testimony about something, but you can always believe Christ when he gives a testimony about something. Other people may be difficult to believe, may be difficult to believe because you don't see that record of the Holy Spirit in life. You don't see that record of that Bible study in life. Maybe difficult to believe or lost, somebody it's lost. Maybe difficult to believe a witness, a testimony of them. But we have a faithful witness, one that we can always trust, one that we can always believe, one that we can always rely on. That faithful witness is Jesus Christ. We can trust everything he says. We can trust every promise he made. We can trust the, co- the book from cover to cover. We can trust all of that. We have a faithful witness in Christ. That's number one. Number two, first begotten of the dead. He is the firstborn from the dead. The first to rise from the dead and never die again. He's the only one to come back from the dead in a glorified body. No one else has gone that route yet. But thank God his own, his kin, us Christians, are going to follow him in that route one day. If we are saved, we are all going to get that glorified body one day. And then I, of course, studying this, another scripture, one of my favorites in the, in the New Testament, came to my mind. First Thessalonians 4, 14 to 17. For if you believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will bring God with them, with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, 
with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God. And the dead in Christ shall rise first, then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. That's a day I look forward to. That's a day I can't wait to see. Coming soon. Coming soon. Get ready. It's coming soon. So we have the first begotten of the dead. Number three, the prince or ruler of the kings of the earth. This is in reference to his ultimate position during the millennium. Philippians 2, 9 to 11. This popped in my mind when I was reading this. Wherefore God has also highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that in the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven, things in earth, things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father, the prince or ruler of the kings of the earth. Number four, unto him that loved us. He loved us unto him that loved us. Now this it says loved us. It's a past tense, but in the Greek it's actually in the present tense. It emphasizes his coming, his eternal, eternally continuing attitude of love toward us. He loved us yesterday. He loves us today. And he's going to love us for all the tomorrows to come. That unto, uh, unto him that loved us, that loves us, that continues to love us, that will always love us, past, present, and future, he's loving us. That's number four, unto him that loved us. Number five, washed us from our sins in his own blood. Washed us from our sins in his own blood. The blood of Christ, of course, is vitally important. It's not just a symbol. In the Old Testament, God taught us people that the life of the flesh is in the blood, Leviticus 17.11. When Christ shed his own blood, he gave all of it for you, for me, for us. He gave his life for all of us. He died so we do not have to. He made a way of redemption through the shedding of his own blood. He paid the price of sin for us on our behalf. We just have to accept this payment. We have to accept this free gift, recognize our need for this payment, recognize our need for this free gift of salvation, and call on Jesus to be our Savior, because he paid the penalty of our sins so we don't have to. We just have to accept that gift, accept that payment on our behalf. 1 John 1, 9, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Do you know what makes 1 John 1, 9 work? We just talked about it. Blood of Christ. That's, that's what makes 1 John 1, 9 work, the blood of Christ. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And we go back to number five, washed us from our sins in his own blood. His blood, the washing of his own blood, is what makes 1 John 1, 9 work. Number six, and hath made us kings and priests unto God and his Father, or a kingdom of priests unto God and his Father. Believers are never referred to as kings. Rather, he made us a kingdom of priests. We are going to rule with the Lord Jesus Christ one day during the millennial reign on earth. And then number seven, the seventh description of Jesus in these two verses. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. To him be the glory and dominion unto the ages and ages and ages after that. Jesus Christ is both the subject and the object of the book. And this isn't my words, but I, I liked how it was worded, so I put through it in here. He is the mover of all events, and all events move toward him. The universe and all there is exists for him. We exist for him. You exist for him. So why don't we make sure our relationship is right with him then? Why don't we make any need decisions we need to for him then? Why don't we make sure we have a relationship with him then? If we are not saved, let's get that settled. So I ask you a question again. Do you bear record of Jesus Christ being your savior? Do you bear a record or a reflection of him in your life? Do you bear record of living your life for him? Do you bear record of Jesus being your Savior? Do you bear record of being a Christian? Does your life reflect that? 
If you say you're a Christian, you should bear record of that. People should be able to see that, should see some fruit in your life. If people know you as a Christian at work, you should be displaying, you should be able to bear record. They should be able to talk about you when you're not there and say, yeah, he's a Christian. I can't, I can't talk the way I want to talk around him. i got to watch that. You know, i got to do this. They should be able to know that. You should be able to bear record with your testimony that you are a Christian. So now we're on E. We're on E if you're keeping track. Expected, so we're almost to Z. Expected and assured coming of Christ. The expected and assured coming of Christ. Let's look at verse 7. Behold, he cometh with clouds, and every eye shall see him, and they also which pierced him. And all kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him. Even so, amen. The book of Revelation begins and ends with the prediction of the second coming of Jesus Christ. Revelation 22.20 tells us, He which testifies these things saith, Surely I come quickly. Amen. Even so, come, Lord Jesus, I come quickly. Be ready, be anticipating. The whole thing, the whole theme so far is be ready, be anticipating. Christ is coming. Be ready. He's coming quick. Next thing on your calendar, next thing on the calendar, he's coming quick. I want you to notice the beginning of verse 7 says, He cometh in clouds. He cometh in clouds. And this reminds us of the promise found in Daniel 7.13 where it says, I saw in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man came with the clouds of heaven. These will not be ordinary clouds, but clouds of glory. In the Old Testament, God would manifest himself in an energized, blazing light called the Shekinah. No one could see it fully and live, the Bible tells us, Exodus 33:20. But when Christ returns, his glory will be completely visible for the whole world to see. And Jesus tells us that in Matthew 24, 29 to 30, he says, Immediately after the tribulation of those days shall the sun be darkened, and the moon shall not give her light, and the stars shall fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens shall be shaken, and then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, and then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn, and they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven, and with power and great glory. So Jesus tells us how this is going to happen. This relates back to he cometh in the clouds, coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. I want you to also notice where it says, they also who pierced him. They also who pierced him. Now, Zechariah identifies those who pierced him in Zechariah 12.10 as the house of David, the inhabitants of Jerusalem. It is said of those who pierced him that they will weep tears, be tears of genuine repentance because of what they did, for the, did to their Messiah. So when confronted with your own sin, what do you do? Do you genuinely repent of it? Do you feel sorry for your sin? Do you turn from it? Do you feel sorry of it because it was wrong? Or do you feel sorry that you just got caught, confronted with it? When the Lord identifies sin in your life, are you turning from it and turning back to the Lord? Or do you just continue in that sin? I want you to notice next, all kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him. These people, separate from the ones who pierced him, all kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him. These, on the other hand, will not wail or cry out because they're in genuine repentance. They will wail and cry out because they fear the punishment that's coming. This is how we can be sometimes, though. Sometimes we cry out or are emotional over sin. And I, I see this a lot having two little ones in the house. Sometimes they'll cry just because they know punishment's coming. They're not really, you know, sorry they did it. They just, they just know mom or dad's going to have to deal with what happened. And so they're, you know, you could see the emotion. You, they're, they're so sorry over being caught doing the sin, but they're not quite sometimes grasping to be sorry over the sin. That's how we are sometimes, too. Sometimes we get caught... We get into sin, or we get confronted with the sin. We're sorry we got caught, but we're really not sorry for the sin. So do we feel sorry for our sin? Do we actually have a repentance in our life? Do you wail out of a genuine repentance, or just because you got caught? I ask you a question again. Do you bear record of having a genuine 
repentive, repentance attitude towards sin in your life? Do you bear record or do you bear record of just being sorry you got caught? What record about sin in your life do you bear? Do you bear record of having a genuine repentive attitude towards sin, confronted with it, or when the Lord reveals it to you in your life, do you have a genuine repentive attitude toward it? Do you have a bare record of being repentive towards sin? Or do you bear record of just being sorry you got caught? What kind of record do you bear about sin? What is your testimony about sin in your life? Do you bear that record of repentance, or do you bear that record, I'm just sorry I got caught? F, fully eternal, immutable Christ. Look at verse 8. This is where I've been wanting to get to the whole all the time. Verse 8, I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending, saith the Lord, which is and which was and which is to come, the Almighty. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending. The first and last, the beginning and the ending. First and last letters of the Greek alphabet, Alpha and Omega. Jesus is beginning of all things. All things are from him. All things are for him. He is the Almighty, the Eternal, the Unchangeable One. Think about this statement Jesus made in verse 8. The Alpha and Omega are the first and last letters of the Greek alphabet. From the alphabet you make words. And Jesus is called the Word of God. The full revelation telecommunication of God is from Jesus, the Word of God. Jesus is the only alphabet you can use to reach God. By no other name can you reach God. By no other name can you get saved. By no other name can you go to heaven. It's only through Jesus Christ. He is the only alphabet, the only language, the only way you can reach God is through Jesus Christ. Now something is very interesting in this verse. I think it's pretty significant. It applied well to our life. If you look back at this verse again, it says, I am the Alpha and Omega. In the original Greek, Omega is not spelled out. Omega is the end, but Omega is not spelled out. But Alpha is spelled out. In the original Greek, you only, you only have the symbol for Omega. The whole word is not spelled out, but Alpha is spelled out. So we are just giving the symbol for the end. It is not spelled out for us. So why is this? What can this tell us? What can we learn from this? Because Christ is the beginning, and the beginning is already spelled out for us. It has already occurred. It is already complete. It is fully. It's complete. It's happened. It's occurred. Beginning has happened, occurred, and complete already. But the end is yet to be. He did not spell out omega in this instance, but one day he will finish writing that word omega. One day it will be finished. One day everything that needs to occur will have occurred. One day it will be complete. It will all be written out. I want to say alpha and the symbol for omega. It say alpha and omega completely spelled out. One day the end will be finished. One day the end will be spelled out. So what will the end of your life bear record? All the ends of our life are still out there. It's not complete. We know the end of our life is coming. We know we have an end. But we just have a kind of a symbol of an end because it's not complete. It hasn't happened yet. So what will your end be? What will the rest of your life be? How will you finish spelling out the end of your life? How will you finish living out the rest of your life? What will the end of your life bear record of? Will it be all about you? All about what you wanted? All about selfish desires? All about living for self? Or will the rest of your life, the beginning's already happened, but will the rest of your life, the end of your life, bear record of Christ? Will the rest of your life bear record of living a life for Him? Will the rest of your life bear record of serving Him, living for Him, studying Him, digging into the Bible to learn more about Him, being a representation of Him, having a good testimony of Him? Well, what will the rest of your life bear record of? What will the end, when it's spelled out, what will that bear record of in your life? 
Our end is not finished. You know, we know our end will come. We know one day it will come. One day our life will be complete. The Alpha and Omega will be complete. One day our end will come. Think of it this way. Our beginning can be spelled out. We know our birthday. We know how we have lived up to this point. We know all about that. We know the good. We know the bad in our life that's happened. But we do not know the rest of our life from this point. The rest of our life from this point does not have to be identical to the beginning of our life. We don't know how it's in. We can make changes if needed. There's one thing we can know for sure about our end, though. We can know for sure, and hopefully we all do, know for sure where our end will be for eternity, where we will live for eternity. We can know for sure that we are saved. We can know for sure our final address will be heaven. We can know for sure that. It's one thing we can know for sure. So if you have not trusted Christ as your Savior, if you have not accepted his free gift of salvation, why not do so today? Why not do so tonight? The Bible tells us all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We just learned a little bit about that glory tonight. We touched on it a little bit. We cannot live up to that. We need to admit our shortcomings, our sinfulness. We need to admit we need Christ. We need to accept what he has done for us on the cross and the pain our sin debt by dying and shedding his blood for us. How does 1 John 1.9 work? By the blood. It takes the blood. And accept that free gift of salvation and call on him, call on him to save us. That thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and thou shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So in conclusion, if you are saved, hopefully everybody here is saved, but you still don't know your end. It does not have to be a bad ending. If you've made some poor decisions or living a life of sin right now, your end does not have to mirror your beginning. If you're living wrong, if you have unrepented sin in your life, if you're living contently in your pet sins, you can make a change. You can turn from those and turn to Christ. You can make your ending be one that is a, bears record of a life that is lived for Christ, that has lived all out for Christ, that has made all decisions you need to make for Christ. Your end can be a record of that, can bear record of your living for Christ. Your beginning is already written. It is history. All we can do from this point is learn from our beginning. Learn from our life up to this point. From this point on, we still have a clean slate. We can live, we can have that bare record on the next part of our life that we've lived for Christ. We've done all for Christ. Your end is not finished like we find in Revelation 1.8. It's not run out yet. We can make the changes. We can get things right with the Lord. We can turn to the Lord. We still have that time. We're alive. We still have time to turn to the Lord. Have time to get those worldly habits out of life. Time to turn that worldly lifestyle around. With the gracious help of our Savior, we can make those changes. Our end is not written. Our end does not have to be a reflection of our beginning. Our end could be, we could bear record, our end could bear record of a life finished well for Christ. So our goal should be one when life is done, when life has come to the end, when we're in heaven and the records are open, our record will bear record of a life lived for Christ, bear record of a life decisions made for Christ, bear record of a life that was all out spent for Christ. Let's go ahead and pray, Lord Jesus. Thank you for today. Thank you for this evening. Thank you for your word tonight, Lord. Thank you for the book of Revelation and all just the practical stuff we can find in there, Lord. The whole counsel of God is for our prophet, Lord. We can learn and apply from any page of the Bible something to our life, Lord, that we can live by. And just thank you so much for that, Lord. Thank you how your, your word just speaks to us, how things just jump out off the page at us, Lord. And, and thank you how the Holy Spirit works in our hearts and our minds and brings uh, different verses to our heart and our minds when we're studying. This just helps shed light on your word, Lord. Just please help us. 
Please help our lives to bear record of you, Lord. Please help our lives be a reflection.